From the Anajar and Levine Accident Attorney Studios, it's LaVeca, Theo, and Stone on ESPN 106.3. Hey, real quick, can we hear Damian Woody on Kyle Shanahan? Damian Woody on Get Up on Kyle Shanahan and the, the, the firing of Steve Wilkes. There's a couple of things I want to get to here, but I just wanted to hear Damian Woody real quick. This uh, this from Get Up. I was shocked, Brandon. When, when, when I saw Shepard tweeted that, it like, like my jaw dropped because I saw the job that Steve Wilkes had done with his defense. We know that there's been like a lineage of defensive coordinators that's come through and has done a, a tremendous job mm-hmm. uh, with, with the San Francisco 49ers defense. And yes, he doesn't run the exact same scheme that Robert Sala and D'Amico Ryans run, but obviously with the numbers that you showed, he did better than what D'Amico Ryans did the prior, the prior two years. And when I, look at, when I look at this whole year, especially in the Super Bowl, where were those five all-pro offensive players on, on offense for the San Francisco 49ers? Mm-hmm. Okay, the genius, the genius play mm-hmm. calling Kyle Shanahan. What, ha- what happened to those guys? Again, just like you pointed out, this uh, San Francisco 49ers defense only gave up one touchdown, and that was after a muff punt, what we call, you know, like after a turnover. Yeah. So the fact that you're going to relieve the defensive coordinator of his duty, it just feels to me that Kyle Shanahan doesn't get it. Where's the where's the accountability on his part as far as why he keeps falling short in these big moments? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah that's well said. I think that's all that's all well said. Accountability. That's the word right there. It's what I keep looking for. Any accountability at all from Kyle Shanahan. I mean, we got nothing. At least about the overtime thing. Right? At the very least. How about the overtime thing? I'll say this though. How dangerous is it to come out and say Hey guys, I didn't do my job and I cost us the Super Bowl. Like, you don't think he's been advised to not say anything? I'm I, telling you, man. I then then I'm that's sick, hard to do. Then I'm sick and tired of of hearing about transparency and accountability in locker rooms and culture and all that nonsense. Because if the guy, the leader, the man can't own up to it when it's damned obvious what actually happened based on what he said and what his players said about overtime and not knowing the rules, if he can't come out and say it, then you know what? What are we doing here? What is he doing there? What is that organization doing at this point? Because you're a journalist. I hate that. You've been in thousands of locker rooms, thousands of press conferences. If he does come out and say, yeah, guys, I'm going to take some accountability here. I screwed that up. I didn't have the team prepared. Somebody like Ken Levick would be like, coach, in your humble opinion, is something like that a fireable offense? And he says, hmm, I never thought about it like but that. Why and then he that, says, in, in some cases, but, yes, it is. And you say, so should you still be the coach? Of the, like, he doesn't want to go through that. Okay, but but why do I matter? Just because I would think in that hypothetical, and I don't think this, but in that hypothetical that Kyle Shanahan should be fired, why does what I think matter when all that matters with what I'm presenting is that locker room? What I think, and is that a fireable offense, and what Brock Purdy or Fred Warner or Kyle Juszczyk or Ayuk or any of those guys, what they think with their coach telling the truth and being upfront about it, what matters is what they think. And I guarantee you, Kyle Shanahan is always using accountability. I like accountability, that. Accountability. Accountability. See, see what I'm saying there? I, I 100% do. So you would more so ask a question like this. Do you feel as if you let... The guys in your locker room and your team. There you down. go. There you go. And that, just let uh, him say yes. From a journalist standpoint, yeah. Because again, I would never, and I, any journalist with a brain would not say, "Is that a fireable offense?" Like it's, it's not I don't a fireable. Know. Of, I feel like it's something that would be asked. No, but there, you want to know why it's still living? 
because nobody's taking responsibility for it. Right. You know, there so you has just, not been... Yeah. Uh, uh, all Kyle Shanahan has been trying to explain it away is wishy-washy about the entire thing, trying to make us believe that, oh, yeah, this was the plan all along. No. Like, it's clearly not. Just stop BSing us. It's like the LeBron uh, cryptic tweets and not answering questions about what the tweet meant, and then that turns into the 76ers and the Warriors calling the Lakers about whether or not LeBron's available before the trade deadline because he's not being transparent about it. It's amazing. Even in a social media world where things can live and linger forever, how quickly something will disappear and go away if you just damn address it. I mean, look at the steroid era, and I know I'm really stretching here to make connections, but man, the one guy who came out and tearfully admitted, yep, HGH, steroids, I screwed up, was Andy Pettit. Do we ever, 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 ever associate Andy Pettit with the steroid era or a cheater? Do we ever do that? The answer to that is no. I love that. But A-Rod, because he kept deflecting, 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 avoiding, we do. Roger Clemens, deflecting, 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 avoiding, we do. Barry Bonds still hasn't owned up to it. But Andy Pettit sat there in Tampa, <laughs> and we made fun of him a little bit, and guess what? Andy Pettit's in everybody's good graces, and everybody loves him. Hashtag accountability. That's all it freaking is, man. Your job, your relationship, your parenting, on the field, off the field, everything. That's all it is. And am I? have I been guilty of not being the most accountable at times in my life? Hell yeah. But man, do I realize the importance of accountability as my years have gone on and as I've gotten older, especially in my personal and professional life both? Hell yeah. But on its all face, on it, I, I, trust me, loud and clear. All it takes. Heard. But on its face, a lot of the times when us humans aren't willing to be accountable, it's because we're afraid of what's to come. And what's well, it's because because you're afraid of of being humiliated. Of course. If you cheat on your wife, instead of being accountable for it, and again, I don't judge. Everybody does their own thing. You judge. I don't judge. No, no, I don't judge. I don't judge. What I what do I always you tell you? Judge. What do I always tell you about DUIs? I don't know. Am I supposed to remember I, off the top of my head? I, I have a hard time oh, yeah. poking fun at people because you never know when God you're going to find forbid yourself in that when, situation. And I try to put myself in a position not to be in trouble with that, but God forbid something happened. And then I have it thrown back in my face that I sat here and railed on somebody for 10, 15 minutes about that. Yeah. You know, or infidelities or mistakes at work or saying something uh, that, that got you in trouble. Like all those things, you bring it up, but you don't focus on it. Because again, I'm a firm believer that I'd want to be treated or afforded a luxury, uh, uh, if I was in a similar spot, so I don't want to burn that bridge, right? Right. So, so that's where I stand with that. But back to the point, whether it's an infidelity, whether it's saying something stupid, whether it is making a mistake, whether it's letting someone down, instead of just, instead of just sitting there and, oh, I don't know, oh, I don't know, because then you're, you're making people feel stupid around you because they know. They know, and the more stubborn you are about admitting it, it drives them crazier, and it diminishes you in the process. You know what helps the journey to healing? Not to get like super profound here. The journey to healing? Being accountable. Owning it, and then you move on. That was beautiful. Right, and that's all Kyle Shanahan has to do. Because now, 
I feel like he's insulting our intelligence. Yeah. And then he fires Steve Wilkes. And I think that further makes us feel like even if he was already planning on doing it, it makes us feel further like he's insulting our intelligence. Okay. Let me figure out what I want to do here. Oh, oh, Baptist Health Injury Emporium. Baptist Health Injury Emporium. Why don't we go ahead and hit a Baptist Health Injury Emporium? Terry Rozier, knee out. Guess what? Doesn't matter. The Miami Heat going into the All-Star break, beating the Bucks and the 76ers back-to-back without Jimmy, without Terry. We're back, baby. Got a question following that. Duncan Robinson needs to be a bigger part of the offense every single night, by the way. That's what we've discovered. I'm all in on Duncan Robinson. I'm when all, he's on, the Heat are on. All, all. All in as you as much as you can be. Listen, 10 and 0 when Duncan Robinson scores at least 20 points. 13 and 1 when Duncan scores at least 18 points. Here's the uh That's all you need to here's yeah. the big one. 14 and 5 when he starts. 14 and 5 when Duncan Robinson starts. Now here's the question that I said that I had following. Was Kyle Lowry the problem? Was Kyle Lowry the problem? Was Kyle Lowry the problem? I mean, I probably could have told you that. Did Kyle Lowry serve his purpose? Sure. Of course. Was Kyle Lowry starting to become a pain in the ass? Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is a different discussion for a different day, but this offense has moved a lot better without Jimmy. Stop it. Stop it. Why would you open your mouth? All I'm saying is they they need to find a way for the ball not to stick when Jimmy's in. Because Jimmy and Tyler Hero, they just don't work together. It doesn't work. It's not working. When the ball's moving, it works. And I also think when Jimmy's off the floor, Bam has more confidence. As I know. funny as that sounds. I know. Especially I know. on the offensive end. The ball just stays stuck when Jimmy's there. And I wish they would come up with a fix. Because it is... It's that's the, when the offense is the worst to watch. Listen, it's the LeBron factor, right? It's the players around him feeling the pressure as if they need to give him the ball. They need to be open and in the right spots. All of this thing. You have more pressure. Uh, added pressure when Jimmy's on the floor. And when he's not, it's kind of like, hey, yeah. how's money here? Yeah. Let's go out and ball. But I'm telling you, Duncan Robinson is increasingly clear he is the key to this thing working offensively. Listen, I jokingly told you when we asked yesterday, let's try to combine two athletes, no matter the sport, no matter the teams. I said LeBron James and Duncan Robinson, because anytime LeBron James had a sharpshooter, whether it was Uh Ray Allen, Shane Bettier, Mike Miller, he was fine. He doesn't have that in LA. If he had a guy like Duncan who was shooting at a clip from beyond the arc, the Lakers wouldn't be bums. Well, I mean, they're playing better. They're 30 and 26. They're four. The Heat are 30 and 25. (laughs) Baptist Health Orthopedic Care has a team of skilled orthopedic sports medicine surgeons and specialists that specialize in surgical and non-surgical treatments to get you back to what you love. Don't put off seeing a doctor. Visit baptisthealth.net slash ortho today for more information. Baptist Health Orthopedic Care combines its resources of experienced physicians, leading-edge treatments, and technology to provide advanced orthopedic foot and ankle joint replacements, spine, and sports medicine care. Visit baptisthealth.net slash ortho for more information today. Baptist Health Orthopedic Care has offices conveniently located in Palm Beach County through the Florida keys learn more by visiting baptisthealthnet slash ortho burgers been talking burgers stone labanowitz judged a burger contest last night the man eats burgers the man loves burgers by the way great job by me not remembering that evan doesn't eat red meat that was i'm not gonna lie i've known him for 20 years i'm not gonna lie that was like actually embarrassing see but i if i were kyle shanahan i'd be like oh yeah yeah, I, I, you know, that's a, a just honest mistake. I mean, no, I, I own it. Like, that was a bad job by me. Like, that might have hurt Evan's feelings. I, it might have been. 
It, it might, it, at least, I guess the only thing that could have been worse is if I was flipping burgers and offered him one to his face. Well, that would have been funnier, at least. I guess it would have been funnier. Yeah, I blew that. Uh, but we asked on social media, at KLV1063, what are the top three most important aspects of a great burger? What are the top three most important aspects of a great burger? Because Stone, professional burger judge, Delray Tennis Open last night laid out to us that it's a moist patty. You need tons of condiments and toppings. And the patty needs to be thin. A lot of emphasis on the patty with a side key of just a regular bun. Something, nothing fancy, just a regular, something you can smash. Something not thick. Yeah, something you can smash. Uh, Bill, he says, number one, most important is the bun. A bleep weak bun can destroy the whole experience. See, you like the weak bun. I love a weak You're bun. You're into the weak bun. Give me weak buns. Uh, toppings, you can just throw a garlic aioli on there and think it fixes everything, but they have to complement each other. It's why cheddar bacon and barbecue available at every single burger joint is key. And then three, meat. Beef is beef. He kind of, he had a good thing so going I think there. He's he saying, though, no turkey, I think he's saying, though, no turkey burger. I... I like turkey burgers over beef. Does that make me soft? I, I want to say yes. Like I'm not going to sit here in line, but ah, it's okay, man. Teach their own. No, you're soft. Like, are you judging me because I like turkey burgers over beef burgers? There's no doubt that I'm judging you right now. Uh, Mark says most important is meat. You need 80 to 20 or Wagyu beef. Sorry, Mark. We don't have the budget you have. Yeah. Wagyu beef. Two, seasoning plus temperature. Salt and pepper, onion powder, garlic, touch of paprika, cooked medium rare. There you go. Medium rare. Uh, And I agree with him with the onion powder and the garlic. That makes, if you sprinkle that on while you're preparing the patty, that's good stuff right there. That's gold stuff right there. You know what also is good in burger patties? Before you put it on the grill, soak that baby in teriyaki. How about it? How about it? I got a roll. Listen. When you're making burgers at home... You can do it with a turkey burger, too. If if there's an onion powder and garlic powder all over the countertop, you ain't doing it right. Like, you need to just... It needs to be a mess. Like, I need to be able to scrape my hand on the marble countertop and then lick it, and it's onion powder and garlic powder. It's so disgusting. Uh, And then fixings, cheddar or American or Jack Cheese, good buns. See, you're the only one that I've heard that puts no emphasis on the bun whatsoever. I mean, I don't want You're just looking for something feeble and, and, and weak. Yeah, but as long as, like, like, like uh, Bill said, that, like, that garlic aioli, that chipotle mayo spread on a bun, it could be the crappiest, cheapest bun ever. But if you have the right spread and you bite and there's some flavor into it, it's good. And if it's not too thick where it just kind of is competing with the meat, you're okay. I, I'm not necessarily a weak bun guy. I want you to be working. I don't want at least some buns. I want it to bounce back a little bit. I, I, I'm not a weak bun guy, though, but I don't put a lot of emphasis on them. Okay. You're, you're more focused on the interior. Yes. Of the burger than the exterior. Uh, and then Mattis, uh, Maddox, I should say, uh, his, uh, his top three uh, short and simple keys to a great burger, sauce, seasoning, bacon. Yeah, baby. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. I love that. Love that. Barbecue sauce we talking? Of course. Yeah. I think that's the... Whatever you like. Yeah, I know. But I also think that barbecue sauce... Is if you're gonna gonna not do ketchup and mustard, because I wouldn't recommend barbecue sauce with the ketchup and mustard. <laughs> All right, let's not get crazy here, okay? See, let's don't necessarily mix. If you're a vet, right, you have ketchup mustard on the burger, but on the plate is barbecue. So when you take a bite and you have the edge of a burger, you can dip it in the barbecue if you want a barbecue bite. One other thing, you might judge me for this as well. Okay. 
I prefer turkey burger over beef burger. Just my sensibilities as a healthy uh, aging male. So lame. If I'm at a barbecue and I have the option of burger and glizzy, taking glizzies all day. That's fine, dog. Okay. You're, you're good with that? Yeah, you're safe. So you feel much better about that than you do me taking a, a turkey burger over a beef burger. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to judge at all. If we go to a ball game and, you know, I get a burger and you're right behind me in line, you're like, I'll take a hot dog. And I'm like, whoa, man, the sale's on burger. And you're like, yeah, hey, I'm not going to judge you at all. Okay. You're okay. All right. Uh, we'll share. Like, you can give me a bite of your glizzy. I'll give you a bite of the burger. You know, we get the best of both worlds. Okay. <laughs> Weird, am I feeding you that? Yeah. Uh, let me tell you about EDS. EDS is yes, edsairconditioning.com. They've been doing it since 2006. And I tell you what, when you're having uh, the uh, the barbecue or the cookout uh, coming up here in uh, the next couple of months, uh, when it's super hot out during the summer and you're sweating and you're dripping and it's humid and you've been outside by the grill, one of the most refreshing things to do is to grab a beer, walk inside of your air conditioning, let it wash over you, and you say to yourself, hell yeah, this is living. What if, in this hypothetical, what if you walk through your screen door, you get inside, and you're like, wait a minute, I don't feel any coolness at all. This beer's not doing anything for me. I'm still dripping. I'm still gross because your AC has gone out. Then everybody at your cookout's like, oh, my God, we got to go, man. This ain't working anymore. I'm not sitting in the heat anymore. You got a problem. Avoid that problem, that hypothetical, that nightmare with EDS, because EDS is yes. EDSairconditioning.com. Again, doing it since 2006, servicing Palm Beach County and surrounding areas. EDS Air Conditioning. EDS is yes. That gold plan, they have technicians coming out a couple times during the course of the year to make sure that everything is copacetic. EDS is yes. EDSairconditioning.com. EDSairconditioning.com. EDS is yes. Uh, I. I wanted to address this. We'll do Wheel of Topics in a second. Uh, This is like the third time since you and I started working together, Stone, that we've had to address a mass shooting on this show because it's so prominent that you can't avoid it, right? Right. And this one spanned into the sports realm as well. So for anybody listening right now, it's like, ah, Ken, stick to sports. Well, guess what, dummy? This is sports. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because I'm not going to say anything that hasn't been said or say anything that's going to profoundly change how anybody thinks about guns, firearms, the problem in this country, the constant threat and execution of mass shootings. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just a guy with a midday radio show in uh, West Palm Beach. But what I wanted to say is that I, for the first time yesterday, once the sadness passed, And once the anger passed, and once the shock passed, and that shock, by the way, an increasingly lesser amount of time every time this happens, I experience that emotion. For the first time after a mass shooting, I felt embarrassment. True embarrassment as a citizen of the United States of America. And I know it's said over and over and over again that the U.S. is the only place that this thing happens. But it's worth repeating over and over and over again. Among first world countries, it's the only place where this stuff happens. Whether you're going to a movie, whether you're going to school, whether you're going to the mall, whether you're going to church, and now whether you're going to Super Bowl parade, There is a legitimate chance that you're taking a bullet somewhere in your body or multiple. 
It's an epidemic. It's disgusting. And it's embarrassing. American exceptionalism. Best nation in the world. You can't say that with a straight face when you go to a Super Bowl parade and all of a sudden bullets are flying because people legally own firearms. Get the hell out of here. It's my Second Amendment right. I need it in case the government tries to take over. The same people who say that, Second Amendment, my right. And the reason that amendment exists is because it was used as protection in case the government tried to strong arm the citizens of this country 300 years ago. Those same people who still use that as an excuse for the Second Amendment, my rights, those are the same people that are terrified of Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift and a vaccine because it's the deep state trying to infiltrate. So all of you conspiracy theory nut jobs who want to make sure everybody knows where you stand with your conspiracy theory and you're saying that it's my right because what if, what if, it's not rational. That's as irrational as your fear of Taylor Swift being a deep state operative for Joe Biden. I'm embarrassed. It's embarrassing. Around the world, people looking at the team that won the most prominent championship that comes out in North America, they already make fun of us for the gun culture we have that's taken over, that's stained our society. And guess what? As predictable as can be, Mass shooting, injuries, children in hospitals, and death. It's so damned embarrassing. And if you're not humiliated, if you're not embarrassed, and if you don't, and you're unwilling to realize what the common denominator is, oh, mental health, mental health, oh, it's mental health, mental health. The same people who scream mental health are the same people that vote against actually funding assistance for those with mental health problems. If you are so daft and so stubborn that you refuse to just admit there's a common denominator and that's the damned guns, then there's no hope for this. And you know what? I say that. There is no hope for this. So if you're not embarrassed, you're not humiliated, then you're also not a contributing member of American society. Just understand that, okay? Yesterday was humiliating and embarrassing. Yes, it was tragic. Yes, it was predictable. And inherently, that's what makes it so embarrassing. And that's what I felt. That's Stone. I'm Ken Levick at Theo and Stone, ESPN 106.3. From the Anajar and Levine Accident Attorney Studios, it's Levicka, Theo and Stone on ESPN 106.3. Back to burgers. Salvatore messages in. By the way, if you have a Salvatore in your life, you should feel lucky. That name's badass. And that guy can fight. You think all Salvatores can fight? Yeah. You know what I think when I think the name Salvatore? I think artist. Oh, Vidali? I got painter. Right. Well, that's Salvador. This is Salvatore, but yes. No, but I, I get what you're saying. I'm not trying to... And there's no way you would have known that. My T's sometimes <laughs> sound like D's. I'm sorry. Yeah, if somebody's like, what's up, man? My name's Salvatore. I'll call him Salvador in an hour later. I'm imagine. sorry. I'm sorry. That was very nitpicky of me. Oh, God. Uh, Salvatore says, bun to patty ratio. 
seasoning and caramelization. That bun to patty ratio is what I mean by my bun take. So you, you put want in your words. you want like a three to one patty to bun ratio. It yeah. sounds like yeah. Okay. Shout out Salvatore. No, for that. but you wanted a thin bun. So I feel like you know you, what you want. I want three to one, but okay, interior to exterior. There yeah, we go. I want two to one. I think I want one to one. Yeah, I think you want one to one, and you want a whole hell of a lot of toppings. Right, That's what right, you're looking right. for. I don't know how to do the three-way ratio there. Uh, seasoning, caramelization, and then harmony of flavors, salt, fat, acid, heat. Chris messages in, you said one thing wrong on your gun rant, but it's important. You said legal gun owners, but is that who's doing the shooting? Crazy people are crazy. If not a gun, they drive their car through the parade. So you feel legal gun owners are the problem? I hate that argument so much. I hate that argument so much. Guns I... are designed to kill. Guns are designed to maim. Guns are designed to end lives. They are the easiest way to conceal impending death. Okay? You can give me a list of all the different ways humans can kill other humans, and you're not going to convince me that guns and them being able to be legally acquired in this country and easily is not the biggest black mark on our American society. Okay? I, Chris, I appreciate it. I appreciate you re reaching out. I guess what I'm trying to say is maybe just maybe we have to have a discussion about the legality of gun ownership. Okay? Maybe just maybe. Maybe. Maybe that's what I'm saying. Oh, but knives can be used. Oh, clubs can be used. Bombs can be used. Cars can be used. The chances of the mass death being inflicted upon people by those things compared to guns is minimal. Okay? So just stop. Like stop. You can come up with every excuse in the book. It's not going to sway me on this. Okay? No other first world country is consistently having cars run through parades or people knifed to death to the tune of 60 to 70 at a time or clubbed over the head to death to the tune of 40 and 50 at a time through schools, through church, through malls, and through Super Bowl parades, okay? It's not happening. There are not just more crazy people in America than there are in other first world countries. It's that other first world countries have taken away the easiest way to mass kill people, and we have it. Okay. Monk says, yeah, take legal guns away and keep illegal guns for bad guys real smart. Again, I guess what I'm saying is we need to have a discussion about legal, legal guns, period, period. Okay. All right. Well, got back into that. Good times. Want to do a uh, wheel of topics? Wheel, wheel there we of go. Topics. topics. Devin Hester. Ooh. Devin Hester is our first topic on Wheel of Topics. I want to say this about Devin Hester, and we're very proud of him as a local, Riviera Beach, the entire thing. Uh, Devin Hester, for me, if you go back over the last five, six, seven Hall of Fame cycles, you can make an argument. Devin Hester, the most impactful player of all of the Talk inductees into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you've got great quarterbacks who have gone in, and, uh, you know, quarterback is the most important position in the sport. But 
Think about it. To be a great quarterback, there's got to be a give and take. There has to be a transaction. You've got to have dependable receivers, guys you trust, right? Uh, baked into that. Uh, if you're a Hall of Fame running back, you need an outstanding front line consistently throughout the course of your career, in addition to your God-given talent, correct? Defensively, you're relying on a lot of people around you to make sure that you can hone in on your assignment defensively and get the job done. A receiver, you need a quarterback who's delivering you the ball in a spot where you can go use your talent to make a play. A return man, a return man, you're contingent on the punter or the kicker being stubborn or being cocky enough if you're good enough to kick to you. And all you need, if you're a great one like Devin Hester was, was maybe a block or someone chipping somebody to throw the tackler two inches off their intended line, and then you're gone. Like Devin Hester, for anybody who wants to argue, because I've seen this, uh, Devin Hester, Devin, he's, he's a special teams player. He's a, he's a return guy. He, and it does bother me that he's going in as a wide receiver. That's not what he's known for. He should be recognized as the greatest return man in the history a professional football. That's a hard-ass job. So much so that they basically ended the art of the return partly because Devin Hester was so damn dominant at it. No lies. There's never going to be anybody because now the nature of the sport, there's never going to be anybody who is going to be able to accomplish what he accomplished. Rightful Hall of Famer. Someone that is going to go down as one of the greatest football players of all time. What a damn legend, Devin Hester. Um, I'm very surprised, and you just brought it up, I'm very surprised I couldn't bend the rules for one guy, and that's Devin Hester, right? To change, obviously no return specialist in there. This is the first return specialist, though, to make the Hall of Fame, so to dub him as a wide receiver, a little annoying. And, I, and I'll say this as well. One, it's about damn time. Two, I was always told, I had a special teams coach when I played at Southern Illinois, one of them, one of three or four that I had in my tenure there. He always used to say there's not three phases of the game, there's four, Mm -hmm. offense, defense, special teams, and that fourth one is free points and good field position. It's an entire phase of the game, and you talk about transaction between a quarterback and a kicker, right? Quarterback brings you there, kicker gets it done. Um, It's basically an alley-oop, some say it, but there's something to be said for good field position. If you were to go to the Super Bowl, I talk about who had better field position, who was in plus territory quicker than the other. Hey, it literally depicts who wins a football game a lot of the time. I I watched almost every second of Devin Hester's Chicago Bears career, okay? And what I will tell you is the Bears, were they good? Was the defense dominant? Absolutely. But what changed the trajectory of that football team with Rex Grossman as the quarterback and not exactly all-world receivers on that team or an offensive attack? The fact that they were starting their possessions closer to the goal line than anybody else in football because of Devin Hester, both on change of possession and on kickoffs. Yeah, and you can even talk about what happened when the lights were the brightest in the Super Bowl. Always stepped up in the brightest spots, absolutely. And when the Bears needed it, they got it from Devin Hester, always. from a quarterback's perspective, you're on the sideline, you're going through some of the opening plays that you guys have scripted, boom. 
Your teammate takes you to the minus 40? Yeah. You're like, oh, we get to start the drive from the 40? Okay, your entire playbook changes. Uh, you say Justin Tucker, free points. Yeah. Right? He's just free points. Three points every time, right? Davin Hester is the closest thing we've ever come to the kicker version of a return man. And it's just free six points right there. Yeah, your offensive coordinator, you're on standby. Let me see, let me see where Devin takes this. It's awesome. Because if we get to the minus 40, we'll probably take a shot. If we don't, then we do this. Like, uh, not many teams have that blessing. Not to mention... Maybe Randy Moss is the only other player in the category of electric over the last three decades with Devin Hester. Devin Hester is one of two most electric players in the NFL the last three decades. It's him and Randy Moss, in my opinion. I mean, I think you could throw Ed Reed in the mix. I mean, people are very mad at me right now on social media. So, again, in my opinion, you can have your opinion. My opinion is that. You don't think Ed Reed is qualified for that electric category? No. Game changer? He was a game changer, but I wouldn't put him electric like Devin Hester. Okay. Okay. I, I, and you can have maybe different uh, definitions of electric. Let's spin the wheel. Wheel of topics. Wheel, wheel of, of topics. Maggots. Weird. This from CBS. A Delta Airlines flight scheduled to fly from Amsterdam to Detroit turned around mid-trip after maggots were discovered aboard the aircraft. An airline spokesperson confirmed that flight 133 AMSDTW was interrupted due to an improperly packed carry-on bag without providing additional details into the cause of the disruption. The spokesperson added that customers were compensated for the inconvenience but did not elaborate on the amount or form of the remedy. A passenger on the flight told Fox 2 Detroit he saw about a dozen maggots fall from an overhead bin and land on a female passenger seated next to him. He initially believed the incident was a prank, but flight attendants traced the insects to a passenger's carry-on bag, which contained rotten fish wrapped in newspaper, the passenger told the news outlet. What would you do if you're 32,000 feet in the air? You're sitting there, you're on your phone, tablet, watching uh, Real Housewives, Beverly Hills. You feel something drop no, on your head. New, you're New, like, New York City. Real Housewives in New York. Real, okay, Real Housewives in New York City. You feel something hit your head. You're like, oh man, who's throwing, who's throwing uh, pretzels? You reach up to your head. You feel something a little wet. You're like, what in God's name is that? You pick it up. You look at it. It's a damn maggot on your head. And then there's a second and a third and then a fourth one falls. What are you doing in that spot, Stone? Um, definitely not speaking in hyperboles here. I would immediately throw up. Yeah. I'm not even trying to be funny. Like I, I, I can guarantee you, knowing I mean, myself, I would throw up as soon as that happened. That is brutal. That is absolutely brutal. There's nothing grosser than stop? maggots. I'll take a cockroach falling on my head over a maggot any day. I don't know about that. Co- I, it's a bold statement. At least cockroaches aren't slimy. It's yep. the slimy part of it for Wait, me. If it's on your head, a cockroach can crawl down your neck and That's in your a good shirt. Point. A maggot you can flick off. That's a good point. Ugh. And who? How do you just forget rotten fish in your carry-on I'm bag? Sure you by didn't the way, forget. But uh, what else? Were you, you think there's? Are going to send it? Rot- I mean, why do you need rotten fish? Like, why do you have rotten fish? Or did you not know? Well, how did you not smell it that it wasn't rotting? That person doesn't have enough money to send that thing through an ice pack company. This, a lot that, of questions. A yes, a lot of questions. A lot of questions coming out of this. Uh, let's go ahead and spin the wheel, wheel of topics. Of topics. topics. <laughs> College coaches, college coaches. Uh, we have a problem in college football, Stone. I'd say. At the Division One level. Th- this is actually, forget, and it's not NIL. 
and it's not transfer portal. Are they maybe contributing factors to this? Perhaps, but it's not primary why this is an issue. College football is dying, and more rapidly than I thought it would be. This all started, this trend this offseason, of college head coaches at the Division I level leaving their program to go to a different D1 team, but as assistant coaches, this is a bellwether for the end of the sport as we know it. It started with Willie Simmons at FAMU. This was a little different, though. We're talking FCS, okay? But he left to go to Duke as the running backs coach, okay, after a lot of success at FAMU. I think he could have done better than the running backs coach at Duke. He's that good a coach, but he made that decision. Yeah, but for Willie, that was in the works five, six years ago. Like, he knew he was going to make that jump, regardless of the landscape of college football. And again, FCS school as opposed to Division I FBS. Yeah. Then there's Chip Kelly, who left his job as the head coach at UCLA, UCLA, to go to a school in his conference, Ohio State, and take over as offensive coordinator. Think about that. You leave your head coaching job at the University of California, Los Angeles, to go to a different school in your conference now and take over as the offensive coordinator. That's weird, right? Uh, and th- I don't want to say it right. I'm not going to say it right. No, no, continue. No. This is why it's weird. And then there's Sean Elliott, Georgia State head coach, who left today to become an assistant coach at South Carolina. That's three. Count them three Division I head coaches this offseason that have left their head coaching jobs to go take assistant roles at other Division I schools. And this is why this is such a massive problem. The top of college football, which is about eight or nine teams, and the money they generate and the money they have to work with, as opposed to the rest of Division I, especially getting into the group of five, it is so top-heavy that it's invalidating the sport. I always say that Division I college football and college football as a whole is the most frustrating because not every team, unlike any other sport that's ever been created anywhere in the world and here in North America, every team has a chance to win a championship unless you're playing college football. Then there's only eight or nine teams that can conceivably win a national championship. And then the biggest game for most of those schools is an exhibition that comes in the month of December or January. That's a problem. And now it's gotten to a point where the resources of that top level of teams, the eight or nine that can compete for a national championship, their financial resources are so much more vast than any of the schools at the same quote-unquote level of college football that they're pulling those football programs head coaches to be assistant coaches on those staffs, eight or nine schools that can do that. We are past the Rubicon of issues with college football. The sport is dying. And hey, you can go watch eight or nine teams compete every year. Fine, go do it. I know I hate that for college football. Now, it's really tough to poke any holes in anything that you just said right there, but I will start with, okay, if we were to ask Sean Elliott, if we were to ask Willie Simmons 14 years ago, where do you want to be? What do you want to be doing? For Sean Elliott, I would imagine... If he knew, he would say be on staff at a school in the SEC, regardless, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, he would say, sure. So, regardless of how easy it was for him to actually do that now, but that he it was had five years ago. I'm just saying that's he what had he a whole said. ass head coaching job. He was the boss, and now he's willing to go 
uh, work under Shane Beamer. Georgia State and South Carolina, and that's the easiest, most right, but what I'm saying thing that I've ever said in my is life. that it's never been like that before. 20 years ago, I'm saying now no matter what, yeah. head coaches left for other head coaching jobs. Now, successful head coaches are leaving to become coordinators at the same level of football. It's one thing if it's D2, D3, FCS, and Willie Simmons' case. Yeah to go take an assistant job once you are a head coach. It's another thing to be a head coach, and the most drastic one is UC frickin' LA. Yeah, but okay. To so be the offensive coordinator of Ohio State. So 12 years ago, you asked Chip Kelly, what are you going to do? What do you want to do in your college football life? I want to compete for national championship. Well, 12 years ago, he was he was uh, the head coach of the yeah. Philadelphia Eagles. 10 years ago, 9 years ago, whatever. Okay. Hey, Chip, what do you want to do in college football? What's your goal? I want to compete for national championships. Well, he I was wanna, at Oregon. I know, I know. And he wasn't at UCLA, but he is at Ohio State. I just, I don't know, man. I No other, like in college basketball, nobody's leaving a Southland job to go take an assistant job at Michigan State. Well, you're talking about okay? different levels of money, different atmospheres. Right, but what I'm saying is that the money has made the entire thing at the FPS level completely uncompetitive unless you're one of eight or nine schools at the top of that sport. Yeah. And to me, that invalidates a sport when only eight or nine teams of 160 have a chance to actually win a national championship. And now the financial refo- uh, resources reflect that as well. College football is in massive, massive, massive trouble. That's Stone. I'm Ken. That's been the Wheel of Topics. Levick Theo and Stone on ESPN 106.3.